I'm Dr. Fiona Lovely, and this is the Not Your Mother's Menopause podcast. I'm taking the taboos of menopause and perimenopause and bringing light to the dark. No bullshit, no shame. It's time for us to gain a new paradigm in female health, out with the old and in with the new, and I'm bringing fresh perspectives from someone in the arena. I've been practicing women's health for nearly 20 years, and I'm spilling the tea on what it means to live at midlife, knowing that the best is yet to come. I'm sharing my Gen X approach to living through this transition, sassy, a bit sweary, and always honest. Tactical tips and instantly usable information is my aim. I hope to make you laugh and that you learn something new that helps you embrace the change. Together, we bring power to the Perry. Onward to the podcast. I'm Dr. Fiona Lovely, and this is the Not Your Mother's Menopause podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I am so excited to bring you this interview uh, with Dr. Mary Claire Haver. And you may have heard of her. She has uh, quite active social media pages that lots of people are talking about. But we had this gorgeous, broad-ranging conversation about uh, women's health and science literacy and the Galveston diet, which is her most uh, recent book um, that has just come out uh, earlier this year. Uh, what she uses in her practice, what she calls the perimenopause toolkit and the science of safe HRT. Now we covered these topics in, I think a very fresh way, uh, looking at them without any sort of filters, but um, Dr. Haver speaks uh, from the heart and from the hip, and it was a, a absolute joy to be in her presence for the time that we got to speak, and I hope you enjoy this conversation, uh, listening to it as much as I did being a part of it. Let me tell you about Dr. Mary Claire Haver. She is an MD, a board-certified OB-GYN, and certified culinary medicine specialist. She developed her groundbreaking weight loss protocol as an online subscriber program, through which she has helped nearly 75,000 women lose weight, burn fat, and get into shape permanently. Dr. Haver lives with her husband and two daughters in Galveston, Texas. So without further ado, here is my interview with Dr. Mary Claire Haver. If you are a woman who sleeps hot or experiences hot flashes or night sweats, you know how disruptive this can be to the quality of your life. I would love to tell you about Sleep Me. It's a sleep system with a mattress topper that you place on your existing mattress, which uses water to cool your bed to as low as 55 degrees Fahrenheit. No matter how hot you get, you can sleep at your ideal temperature. There are also dual temperature controls from 55 to 115 Fahrenheit so your bed partner can be happy too. You can schedule temperature changes so if you don't like the idea of getting into a cold bed, you can set it to warm and then slowly cool down as you drift off to sleep. 
SleepMe offers two water-based sleep systems, the Cube and the Dock Pro. Both provide a mattress topper that will cool to 55 degrees Fahrenheit. A recent study by Wake Forest University showed that women in the menopause transition experienced a 57% decrease in the frequency of night sweats when using SleepMe's sleep systems. If you are suffering from hot, uncomfortable sleep, please check out sleep.me slash menofiona. The kind folks at SleepMe have offered our podcast listeners 20% off if you order through our link using the promo code HOTFLASH. I personally use the Cube system, and it's a game changer. I'm amazed at how much it's changed the quality of my sleep. I sleep more deeply, and I sleep longer. I wake cool and rested. Please check out sleep.me slash menofiona and use the code HOTFLASH for 20% off. Now, I'm sure you've heard of AG1 or Athletic Greens, not just on this podcast. There's good reason for it. It's a comprehensive all-in-one nutritional powder that helps fill the gaps in your diet, essentially providing some nutritional insurance, if you will, on a daily basis, specifically supporting immunity, energy, recovery, and gut health. It has 75 highly absorbable vitamins and minerals, high-quality whole food-sourced ingredients, including adaptogenic herbs, probiotics, prebiotics, and medicinal mushrooms. It comes straight to your home. And if you order through our specific podcast link, which is athleticgreens.com slash Fiona Lovely, I'll leave it in the show notes for you. Athletic Greens will include for free five free travel packs and a one-year supply of liquid vitamin D3, K2. Check them out. And I'm honored today to be joined by Dr. Mary Claire Haver of the Galveston Diet fame. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Haver. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. We have so much to discuss today. I'm super excited, but really, I'd love to hear your origin story. How did you go from, hey, I think I want to go and be a medical doctor to becoming a specialist in OBGYN to being a menopause specialist? Please share your story. So I haven't talked about this in a long time. I um, went to college, university, and um, didn't know what I wanted to do. I think I changed my major three times before I settled on geology. So I stumbled upon, I took geology as an easy science um, when I was contemplating a business degree and absolutely fell in love with it. And instead of a bench lab, I went on a field trip out into the mountains and I grew up in the swamps in South Louisiana and had never seen a mountain in my life. And so they took us out to Big Bend, Texas and I was just like in awe and all of the like science of bending and folding of layers and, and faults and stuff just made sense to me. It was like a puzzle. And, you know, the professors at the time were like, you're really doing well here. Um, take another class, you know, to fulfill your science requirements. So I took the next level, aced it, loved it. And they're like, have you thought about this being your major? And, you know, here I am, this like girly girl, um, Never a million years thought I was a STEM person, kind of didn't try in high school at all. I was, a, you know, and I was very into drama and cheerleading and I just kind of skated by with these. And I'm all of a sudden excelling academically. And they're like, look, we have all the scholarship money. 
we can like give you a free ride. You've got the grades. And I was like, well, okay, let me see where this goes. So I ended up getting a degree in geology, loved it as a science, started working for an oil company, which is kind of what you did back then. And um, quickly realized that this was not my path. And what else can I do? I've got this science degree. I love science. I'm super good at it. Um, and so I had gone to New Zealand for a geology scholarship in grad school and kind of down there, my host family and, and lots of people I met were all in medicine. And I was like, and they're like, you should consider being a doctor. And I was like, oh, that sounds amazing. But I never thought that I was smart enough or that just wasn't what my family did. And so I was like, you know what, let me take the MCAT and see what happens. And, you know, here we are 30 something years later. <laughs> so I, I get into med school, I go to medical school, you do all your rotations. I decide OB-GYN is my path. I delivered that first baby and was like, oh, and just felt like that was the way I wanted to go. Practice for 20 years. And, you know, towards the end of that 20 years, I was aging with my patients and realized, you know, there are, I'm not doing well with menopause. Like I thought it was a good menopause provider. And then I went through menopause and realized, I don't know anything about anything. And I'm, I'm gaslighting myself here and I'm miserable you know, and so it really kind of led me down a rabbit hole. Plus it was really weight gain. I mean, vanity rules everything. And so <laughs> I was frustrated with midlife weight gain that I could not kick. And so that really was the first symptom that knocked my socks off, you know, then the hot flashes came and the night sweats and the disrupted sleep. And so that kind of began my pathway of why me and all my patients at this age gaining weight and are so frustrated and can't seem to do anything with it. Hence began my research into inflammation, weight gain, menopause, hormones, and where the Galveston diet came from. When I started talking about nutrition and menopause on social media, it exploded into a bigger conversation around just menopause, lack of education, lack of training. What I didn't know what other doctors were telling their patients. We don't talk about that kind of stuff. You close that door and it's you and the patient. And when I realized just how myself had misled patients or just my own lack of education and understanding around the subject, you know, based on what I was trained to do and that, that there were gaps here that I could be a better provider. And so I left traditional OB-GYN practice and opened a menopause clinic so that I could focus on these women who were so desperate for my care. Very much underserved, our, our, our group of women, our very much underserved. That's <laughs> <All of> <laughs> yes, right. Well, and I think it's really interesting because we're all Gen X as near as I can tell, and we're just not willing to sit down and not and be told no or get used to it, or this is what happens at your age, or have be to gaslit, worse. Yes, yes, have to suffer through it. That's a big one. Oh my gosh, for so long. And like you, I uh, really just didn't. I actually have an uh, an archaeology and geology degree, so <laughs> we kind of started out that same way, and it's such a different thing. And I I can relate to the girly girl being out in the dirt thing. That was me too. So I can uh, absolutely relate to that. But you know, and I, I think in a way, maybe that's what makes us able to bend around corners when it comes to thinking about things that we haven't been trained on all that well, you know? Right. Yeah. I'm super Did annoyed on vacation with my family. So, and it's always the mountains. And 
I know, right? I'm always, my grandmother used to say to me, you're always, you've got us all looking at our feet. Like we just walk around the farmyard, looking at our feet, waiting for an arrowhead to pop up. And believe it or not, they did quite often, interestingly enough. (laughs) Anyways, did your, did your popularity on social media surprise you? Of course. Um, I think it surprised my children more than anything. You know, they were the ones who encouraged me, mom, you have to do this TikTok thing. You know, I was, I had a decent platform on Facebook and I was just starting to kind of scratch the surface with Instagram, but it was really TikTok where things exploded outward. And so I think they were a little chagrined in that, you know, suddenly mom's on TikTok and has huge following talking about vaginas and periods and menopause and getting older and gray hair and wrinkles and things falling (laughs) out. And, you know, and, you know, I think they'd rather sometimes me be a fitness influencer or a fashion or makeup person, but that's just not my path. But, you know, but I was shocked, you know, you wake up, you go to bed and you wake up and you have millions of likes or views or, you know, and you're just like, oh my God, you know, you you make this video alone in a room on your phone and you have no idea what's going to happen. And so it has really surprised me, but it also opened my eyes to, wow, I'm hearing these stories. I'm reading their comments. We are not doing this well. We as an OB-GYN profession, as healthcare providers are really not serving this population. And it is worse for people of color, you know, you know, it's, it's one thing us as women, but we can't forget that it's, it's much worse. You know, the gaslighting, the misunderstanding, lumping us all in, we're not little men and we're also all not white women. And so we are bio individuals and how we address each woman's passage through this process really has to be individualized to their specific set of circumstances and their genetics. And do you think this is one of the barriers then with, with traditional medicine is that, you know, there's sort of usually a recipe book. Okay. If the symptoms are this and the patient is this age, then we prescribe this or do this procedure or whatever. But, you know, when you talk about your perimenopausal toolkit, most of those things are not within the purview of traditional medicine. Exactly. So is, is this one of the barriers? Absolutely. You know, I, in my medical, yeah, I went to a traditional Western medical school. I have a medical doctorate. I did a traditional, you know, and I'm super proud of my medical school and my training and everything I learned. They're just, we're missing some important stuff, you know, and they're missing it because of, I think, misogyny, ageism, you know, it's a systemic, it's a societal issue. It's not that we're bad people as healthcare providers. It's that it's not been focused on, you know, when you, when you go to PubMed, which is where we all go to look up medical journal articles and whatnot, and you type in the word pregnancy, okay, of all time, I just put in the word pregnancy and hit go, 1.1 million articles come up. These are validated research journal articles, you know, the best of the best. I type in the word menopause and 94,000 articles come up. So then I narrowed, I said, okay, okay. Menopause wasn't even recognized as a thing till a hundred years ago. And so let me do the last 10 years. And that same distribution held, we are spending 10 times the brain power, 10 times the money, 10 times the resources into pregnancy. than we are in menopause. And that's a problem. Indeed. And that's a reflection of what's going on and how we think about menopause, how we treat menopause. You know, it, it kind of, it's a multifactorial issue here. It's shocking, actually, when you say it like that. It's 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 shocking. How much of that, that pregnancy is not important? Of course it is. But we should be spending just as much money, time, effort, and brain power 
on menopause is where more women will go through menopause than actually bear children. We're just going to let that sink in just for a second. Oh my gosh, right? 850 million women in the menopause transition around the world right now as we speak. It's almost a billion women and we're we're vastly underserved. And I, I, I just like to think that that this discussion Every time we have this discussion, every time you pop on social media and leave one of your fantastic videos, it changes. It changes the dialogue. So we are moving the needle. I know it never feels like enough. It never feels like enough for me anyways. I'm like, what, what else can I do? But we are absolutely moving the needle. But I think what you do better than anybody else that I've seen in this women's healthcare space is science literacy. I, one of my gifts, making it sexy. You're making it sexy. One of my gifts, which I've known for a long time that I developed in face-to-face patient communication through all my years as a traditional OB-GYN is I can take science and break it down and make it understandable to a lay person who doesn't have a science background. I didn't, and I never realized that was such a gift until I started doing that on social media and that I opened a window of understanding for people who were completely bamboozled by it before. So at least they can, you know, my whole goal in doing this is not, you know, I do great in my clinic. I make plenty of money. It's not to, to, you know, it is so that I leave behind a generation of people who are more empowered by education. I think education is the key to everything. And so my goal, every video I make is either to dispel some misinformation or some misunderstanding or to educate. Um, Sometimes I'll, and sometimes I'm funny and sometimes I'll dance or sing, but you know, um, but mostly my goal is that someone leaves that video better, better informed and able to make a, a healthcare choice that is going to impact the quality of their lives for the better. Well, I think your superpower too is your vulnerability. Like you don't really hold back. You, we see pictures of, we see videos of you in bed with your husband. <laughs> we see your nighttime routine. Even Half of my videos are in my pajamas. <laughs> so I'm a, I, my, I think better in the morning, you know, my, my synapses are firing better. It's my fasted state. And it's when my brain is functioning better. And I'll just, if I'm, I just, I don't care. I don't care if you don't like it fine, but you know, and also I'm a real person. I don't always, I've got makeup on. I did my hair for this, for the podcast today. I never look like this. (laughs) So (laughs) my hair is often frizzy or I've just worked out or, you know, I often will do videos. Like I am an absolute real person. I'm not always perfect. I struggle with the same things everyone is struggling with, you know, to different degrees. And so, and I try to be real about that so that I can be relatable. Um, well, I just I'm, refuse thank to have you it any that. other way. And believe me, my children hold me accountable for every single thing that comes out of my mouth. <laughs> Someday they'll understand because you have daughters, right? Yes. Understand. And one, <laughs> Catherine, yeah. my 22 year old is a nutrition science major who has just been accepted to medical school. So talk about keeping you honest. I mean, oh, she's amazing. constantly monitoring my videos, double checking everything, sending me articles, asking me to talk about X, Y, and Z. Her latest thing is the use of creatine for aging women and, and, and uh, muscle mass. And so mom, look at this article. She gets so excited. It's so cute. You know, it's so wonderful to see it. She's also really mean sometimes. <laughs> so. <laughs> she's about to be the annoying one with the family, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
I'm glad it's okay. she can... those. I'm tired of being the only uh, healthcare provider. Um, my sister's a nurse, but like, you know, like I'm, I'm glad we're going to have another, uh, another person. She's going to see. What it's yes, like. indeed, indeed, indeed. Well, let's talk about the Galveston diet book because this has just come out. I think January. January yes. February? Yeah. yeah. January 10th. Yeah. I bet this is a labor of love for you. Mm-hmm. And don't let the word diet fool you. I, you know, in medicine, diet is a pattern of eating like the Mediterranean diet. I didn't think when I, when I wrote it, I didn't have a name and I didn't want to name it after me. I thought that was weird. And I live in Galveston, Texas, and it's where I'm raising my children and have my practice. So I just named it after that. And, but gosh, the backlash of people who were scared to even buy it because the title diet was on the cover. They didn't want their children to see that they were reading a diet book. I, if I could do anything different, I would have called it something else, not the word diet. Cause it really has scared people off. Yeah, I understand that. And and when I was reading it, you know, and and preparing to talk to you, I thought, well, you know, I really want to talk about menopause. And we've got this book to talk about, too. But the truth is, when I was reading through the book, first of all, I love how you break down the hormones, especially the hormones around hunger and satiety, really interesting stuff. And even though, um, you know, the, the, the diet concepts that you use in Galveston diet were not new to me, I felt hurt in listening to this book. I felt heard. And so your vulnerability, all of these things you share about being a real person, the truth is you created this program for yourself and then shared it with the world. So I can feel all of that when I read it. So thank you for doing it that way, if you will. And I, and I get it. I get that you would have some struggle with uh, having, but then the, the, the publishing industry loves a diet book, right? They love a diet book. So that's the stuff they want to talk about. (laughs) Um, you know, we had a, the Galveston diet started as an online program. It was a course that you could sign up for with videos and downloadables and all that. And we were very successful. I mean, by the, when they approached me about the book, we had 70,000 students enrolled in the program in some form online. And so we were just running with that. And when I got approached about writing a book, I was really hesitant because I felt like I would undermine what the success we had going. I have teams of people working with me. I've employed several women, you know, in our coaching and our whatever. And I was worried, but you know, they said, this will just reach a broader audience or people who don't want to sign up online and who are going to want to buy the book. So that's been great. The other thing that's happened since we released the book is the rise of the incretins. And so people who are turning to the weight loss medications, probably for good reasons, um, to treat their Mm -hmm. obesity or to treat, you know, weight problems that they have. And so we've seen, I think people are just like focusing on that right now and not so much on nutrition, you know, fighting to get the medication to help in their treatment of obesity. And so Mm -hmm. it's just been kind of an interesting time to publish a book. The book actually also came out on the day Prince Harry's book came out on spare. That was a little tough. (laughs) So it's been, but despite all of that, I've been just bowled over by the success of the book and how well people have responded to it. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a wonderful 
uh, very accessible read to understand what's happening, you know, as, as a, as a menopause practitioner, what happens, that's probably at least half the women that come in my office want to know why they've gained weight and how to lose it. So it's very much that neurometabolic thing that happens at midlife. This is very much a thing and we haven't had a really good way to look at it before. And I love the way you just bring together these three very simple pieces, but very effective in a way that's really doable. Can you talk about that a little bit? So there's three kind of, we call them actions of the Galveston diet, and they're all meant to work synergistically together to help decrease this change in body composition and lose some of the excess fat that has come on since menopause um, or, you know, through the menopause journey. And so the first action is the use of intermittent fasting. However, that looks for you. Um, Not so much as a weight loss tool. You can, you can undermine yourself by, you know, what you eat in your eating window, you can undo some of the beneficial effects. We utilize fasting for the anti-inflammatory benefits for lowering insulin levels, glucose levels. And that, you know, when we talk about chronic inflammation, um, there's several causes. Nutritional choices can be one, the aging process is another, and definitely the loss of estrogen in our um, menopause journey is the third. And so those three things start us in this like negative feedback traffic circle. And so as you gain more weight, you become more inflamed. As you get more visceral fat, you become more inflamed and you just end up really having a tough time getting out of it. So utilizing fasting, it scares people because they're like, well, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. I don't call it breakfast. I just break my fast in a time period that makes sense to me. If you want to eat your traditional breakfast foods, that's fine. So that's the first component. We do a lot of education around the science of intermittent fasting, why it might be helpful for you. Who's not a candidate for it. It's not for everyone. We are, and then the second action is anti-inflammatory nutrition, taking a hard look at the quality of what we eat. Okay. Like sugar has been vilified, but there's, you know, different forms of sugars. We talk about the difference between added sugars versus natural occurring sugars and foods. We talk about, you know, um, which foods we know fight inflammation naturally. We have an inflammatory index of foods. You can take the little inflammation quiz. We talk about foods we know that are inflammatory or different food additives and things that are inflammatory for most people like additives, um, you know, an over overabundance of nitrites and overabundance of fried foods and overabundance of processed foods, you know, and, and how we can balance those back into our nutritional habits so that they are less likely to promote inflammation. And the third part is what we call fuel refocusing. We talk about macro and micronutrients, fiber, magnesium, calcium, you know, all the things and how to get those through foods so that we don't have these nutritional deficits, iron, et cetera. Um, and we talk about, you know, good, you know, ratios of protein versus carbohydrates versus healthy fats, net carbohydrates, you know, and how, you know, meal plans centered around that. If you're in weight loss or if you're in maintenance, if you don't need to lose weight, but you just want to stay healthy, what that can look like for you. Yeah. One of the things I learned best from the book was the discussion around fiber. That's a big one. And boy, does that one get missed. Let's talk about that one, please. So one of the most, you know, fiber does a lot of things in our body and the, in the standard American diet, most American, most American women are only getting about half of what we should be getting each day of fiber and foods that are rich in fiber are going to be legumes, you know, beans, fruits, nuts, seeds, crunchy vegetables, you know, things that are fibrous. And so fiber does so many things and we really, it's been under-recognized. 
um, the, the power of fiber. So there's soluble and insoluble fiber and, and most foods have both. Okay. Soluble fiber is fiber that is soluble in water. When you stir it up, it becomes cloudy. Okay. And it, it actually dissolves in water. That is the type of fiber that feeds our gut microbiome. This is the prebiotic. You do not need a prebiotic. If you are eating enough soluble fiber in your food, it is what they eat when the, they ferment it in our gut and create oxybutyrates and different really healthy chemicals through the fermentation process that then are powerful anti-inflammatory agents on our own. Insoluble fiber is the fiber that settles out to the bottom, absorbs water and tends to become gelatinous over time. This is what speed that increases the transit of fiber through our gut. It's considered to be, a, I hate the word detox. It's really been mis misused, but it really helps bulk up our stool and move things quicker through, through the colon. Women who are in the menopause transition, who have diets with at least the minimum is 25 grams of fiber, have lower blood pressure, lower visceral fat, lower weight gain changes, lower cancer risk. I mean, it's incredible. Now this was done in foods rich in fiber, not just plain supplementation of fiber. Oh, so interesting. Does it, it there's an all cause mortality reduction there too with fiber is there not? Yeah. yeah. So um, what I found, I started playing with this when I saw some of your videos before the book came out about fiber. So I started playing as I often do play with it myself. And I found if I was, I, I tend to be, I, when I fast, I close my eating window early, usually about two 30 in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. So I eat, I have my coffee the way I like it. And that's my fasting window. Um, my eating window. So it's closed. And so at bedtime, I had a fiber supplement with a little bit of, of um, uh, nut milk and I sleep better. How does that work? <laughs> Your guts have, like I really you know, what controls our sleep is multifactorial. And oh, yeah. it's different for everyone. And so the keeping your gut microbiome, plus if you go to bed and your leptin and ghrelin are not, you know, where they should be because you're hungry, then, um, and that's the other thing people need to realize about fasting. You have to ease into the fasting process. Don't expect to like wake up one day and go 16 hours without a fast. Your body's going to protest. I coach our students to really give yourself five to six weeks to become fasting adapted. You just slowly push that window out, you know, every three to four days by 15 minute increments until it's comfortable until you're yes. like, this is it for me. I'm good here. You know? And if you're hungry, yeah. you need to eat something. That's your body telling you yeah. you're hungry. So you don't want to go to bed hungry. So you are stocking up your gut microbiome overnight to have a good night's sleep. And I think they're just happily fermenting away and creating those chemicals that are getting to our brain and keeping you relaxed and able to have a nice sleep. If my I'm husband guessing. here was here, uh, well, if my husband was here. He's like, oh yeah, you're fermenting plenty in the night. <laughs> Anyways, let's, uh, uh, let's bring it back out of the gutter. But uh, I, I think there's a blood sugar component to it as well. You know, the whole um, no, hunger. Rich yeah. in fiber, it keeps you satiated longer. We know it slows the absorption of blood glucose, therefore limiting those spikes of insulin that we have when yeah. we have yeah. sugar rich meals. The reason why having the equivalent, you know, if you eat an apple, which is packed with fiber, versus and micronutrients and other nutritional benefits versus just a tablespoon of, of table sugar. The reason why that's so different as to what happens to your insulin and glucose levels is that that apple is packed with fiber, which is going to slow its transit and its absorption of sugar into the bloodstream at a more stable, you know, level instead of boom, 
Um, therefore, insulin levels don't spike and the metabolic consequences of that. Yeah. And if my listeners are curious of how to know that for themselves, whether their fiber is being, you know, eaten at the right time, if they're eating the right foods, a continuous glucose monitor for a couple of weeks will give you a ton of information, so much power in that information that we can learn from that. And actually the last guest we had on the podcast, uh, we had an extensive conversation about the CGM. So I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on them. It's curious you say that. So a company reached out to me, uh, NutriSense, and they're like, hey, we want to send you one. And, um, you know, they are not approved by insurance for most patients. I have a few that do, if they're diabetic, Um, diabetic, but you know, so they sent me one for free and I'm letting my husband use it. He's obsessed. And is he coming in? No, it's Donna. Uh, and outlive. Yeah. So he's reading, uh, Peter Attia's book. Uh, no, no, no shame in the plug here. I have no association never met him, but I, I adore him. And, um, and so Chris, my husband is wearing his glucose. Literally it's been day three and he's constantly screenshotting his levels and sending it to me and whatever. I think they're expensive. I, I, I hope, hopefully competition will increase and the cost will go down, but I think no, we're bio individuals. We cannot expect the same blood sugar response to different stimuli. And so my husband is learning what happens when he makes certain choices and he's a little bit obsessed. And now I'm jealous that I didn't keep it for myself. And so I'm reaching out to the company to see if they'll send me a freebie so I can play with it too. And that's one of, I think, two apps where they have new uh, new, uh, nutritionists that will actually help you, the person that subscribes to the app, know what this information means for you, how food affects your blood sugar and your mood and all of those things. And so really interesting. I am familiar with NutriSense. So that's, uh, again, this is a conversation we had just uh, last week uh, on the podcast. So interesting. I think to your point, it is not something that you would have to invest in for the rest of your life. I think outside of outright diabetes, that mm-hmm. it can be a powerful learning tool for you for a month yes. or two to kind of understand, better understand your body and what you can, you should and should, you know, how your body is going to respond to certain things. And actually our body is very different how it responds to things pre and postmenopausal. And so, you know, you can't expect yeah. at 35 to have the same reaction to certain intake that you would have at 55. So interesting. So it's all just power. It's all just information that we can make better decisions with, which is, I think, so important. You know, one of the other things I learned from the Galveston Diet book was actually that I want to bring up was about protein. This is a big conversation because what I find in my office is that I think we lose the appetite for protein at a certain point. We may, may not as, it's not as voracious as it was when we we're younger. And so I know a lot of women that just don't have a sense that they, now look, you're in Texas, I'm in Alberta. All right. We're in cow country. So yeah. <laughs> we're meat, yeah. we're meat eating areas. Right. Right. So, um, this is sort of a a general conversation, but I think sort of one of two things has happened as we get older, we lose a sense of, or we're comfort eating more with the carbs first and not spending enough time focused on the protein. And there's been a lot of media press um, talking about plant forward diets, which people don't know how to consume enough protein when you're consuming plants first. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, please. So if I could do go back and write the book again, again, but the prose for the book was written two years ago, 
you know, it takes forever with editing and stuff. I would have done a bigger, more expanded section because I've learned so much in these last two years with the latest information and data. So, so let's talk about plant-based diets. So um, vegetarian, vegan diets, women who follow the, so everything is compared to the standard American diet, right? Which is heavy processed foods, lots of fried foods, lots of convenience foods. Like, like we build our lives around mm-hmm. the convenience of foods and that's just not the healthiest choice that you can make, you know, whole foods made from scratch is always going to be the way to go, but that's just not how most Americans are eating because we are so busy and have chosen to prioritize our kids' schedules or our own work schedules around food rather than food preparation. And so, um, and that's, that's a cultural issue. So, and lots of other countries are doing this too. And so compared to the standard American diet, the way most women are eating in the U S yes, a plant-based diet is going to be a healthier option. Okay. Vegan or vegetarianism. They just last month, an article came out that looked at women who were following this and they found lots of micronutrient deficiencies in the vegan and vegetarian diet. And they're like, listen, adding in some lean protein, healthier, uh, animal sources of protein is going to fix these micronutrient deficiencies. Otherwise you're going to have to supplement and no one in nutrition recommends supplementation over real whole foods. And so something more like Galveston diet, Mediterranean, we're very, very similar to Mediterranean diet in many in the anti-inflammatory world that utilizing protein sources from animal sources that are lean is actually going to give you a more complete profile versus standard American diet. So what no one's looked at is vegan vegetarianism versus a more Mediterranean diet and who's going to come out healthier in the long run, who's going to have less hot flashes, who's going to have less bone density issues. Women by large are not getting enough protein. And there's a lot of debate over how much we need. And those protein needs change through menopause. There is a phenomenon called sarcopenia, which is the natural loss of muscle mass with aging. And we are losing about a half a percentage of our muscle mass per year. And that muscle mass, how much muscle mass you head into your older years with is going to determine your health. It is what drives your insulin resistance. It's what your muscles are so important. And when I, because in my clinic, I have a machine that can measure muscle mass, okay? And I have very focused conversations around resistance training and protein intake. And if you choose to be vegan or vegetarian, you have got to stay on top of your protein. And quite often my patients who are otherwise healthy are coming in with such low muscle mass that they are in terrible danger of osteoporosis, osteopenia, and diabetes because they don't have enough muscle mass to support function of their body. And our muscle mass is what determines our basal metabolic rate. So when you take someone who's struggling with her weight, like the typical woman who diets occasionally to get back to a certain size, okay, she's going to calorically restrict, which is what we taught her in medicine, what we taught her in society, restrict those calories and you're going to lose weight. Yes, you will. Half of what you lose is muscle. Half. If you just calorically restrict, if you're not focused on protein and getting enough. So now you've lost a chunk of muscle. You'll get some back when you up your calories again, but you won't get it all back. Now your basal metabolic rate is lower. When we talk about yo-yo dieting, this is one of the causative factors. We're not rebuilding our muscle mass with each round of dieting. And so 
you have got to make sure that you are hitting not only adequate protein levels, but you are doing resistance training. And that can look like what it looks like. I cannot stand all these made up debates over hit versus this. And you shouldn't do that. And cortisol and whatever. I'm like, move your body in a way that brings you joy. We do cardio. I'm sorry. I'm going off on a tangent, but we do. Please go on. (laughs) Make our hearts and brains healthy. And we do resistance training to make our muscles and bones and brains stronger. Okay. You must do both. You must to stay as healthy as possible. So many of us, women typically eat no protein at breakfast. They're going to have oatmeal or something, maybe just a little bit. The only protein found is in the gluten. Okay. Then at lunch, they'll have a little bit of protein with their salad or whatever. And then at dinner, they're eating the steak. You're much better off dividing your protein equally throughout the day. When I talk about that in the book, leptin, ghrelin, insulin, cortisol, how protein affects each of these hormone levels that control our hunger and satiety and where and how we store fat. We are totally underutilizing the power of protein in our diets. Sure, you don't have to eat meat, but you have to work really, really hard if you choose not to, to make sure you're getting enough protein. And that's probably going to require supplementation. And that's never the best way. Right. And, you know, I think uh, the anemia piece needs to play into this a little bit too. For women that are pre-menopausal or perimenopausal, there's a lot of us that are anemic and not even being treated at all by our uh, traditional medicine doctors on this. And anemia, of course, can come in many different forms, but a lot of it can be resolved if you're consuming lean animal protein. So I'm, um, I mean, full disclosure, I'm always skirting low hemoglobin levels. I'll get it up a little bit. B12 is my downfall. And so I realized I was not getting enough B12 sources in my diet. So I do supplement that, you know, but I am now focused on what do I need to do nutritionally to naturally up. So I have a slight megaloblastic anemia, meaning my cells are bigger. My MCH and my MCV are too big. So my cells are a little fatter and that's, it's not an iron deficiency. I haven't had a period in God knows how long. I'm not losing blood anywhere. My iron is fine. I check it regularly, but it's my B12. And so I'm not a great B12 absorber. Okay. So I'm supplementing, but I'm also working with my own nutrition because I am active. I climb mountains. I want to get out there and do stuff. And I can tell when my hemoglobin is running low, my oxygen carrying capacity is not what it should be. Yes. Yes. And I think a lot of women don't have the uh, information to be empowered yet with this, but I want to give you a tip that might be helpful for you with B12. That's my problem too, is I like the transdermal application of b12 well, okay. it then it go it bypasses the you know the 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 cell yep yep the stomach environment yep that whole business um and you or if you don't do that you can use a liquid form that you hold under the tongue and then oh, and through the lingual vein okay yeah then it goes right into the bloodstream rather than i mean obviously what you swallow some of it will go through the gi tract but Uh, That's what I like for it. And uh, we can talk about the sources of that a a little bit later, but maybe something helpful there for you. At least that's what I see works well in my office. It works well for me too. Um, But anyways, I think what you just talked about with the training, the resistance training versus the cardio, both to get together is what we need. But you, you said the magic words when you said, just move your body in a way that brings you joy. And oh boy, did that get missed when we were youngsters learning how to self-flagellate over whether what our bodies look like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a big one. That's a big one. 
So pay attention to your protein. That one is huge, ladies, as is fiber. Dr. Haber has taught me so much about both of those things for sure. Now, when we started this uh, episode, I mentioned your perimenopause toolkit. Can you share what those, those five pieces are, please? Sure. So when, you know, I have a clinic now that I've chosen to focus on care of the menopausal woman, wherever she is in her menopausal journey. I don't do paps or well women's or surgery or babies anymore. This is my jam. And so when the patient walks out, she has a toolkit that I have created for her. And so it looks like a toolbox, you know? And so in that box, the biggest, most important box is nutrition. The next box, just as big is exercise. So we talk long and hard about that. The next box is pharmacology, both hormonal and non-hormonal. If she's a candidate, if, depending on her symptoms or what she needs. The next box is going to be possible supplementation. There are supplements. So say you, you don't have low magnesium levels, but mag in certain forms can be medicinal and higher doses to help with sleep, to help with anxiety, to, you know, outside of a deficiency. So we talk a lot about that and then and make recommendations around that. And then we talk about sleep um, maximization and we talk about stress reduction. I love it. Those are all like... Perfect. It's the perfect toolkit. So, and I, I think those of us that have been practicing uh, in women's health, this is what we've been looking at, but it's, when you put it all together like that, it just, it's actually quite simple. The pieces and parts are different for everybody. You know, somebody might have exercise down, right. But their nutrition isn't great or their sleep isn't great or their stress is awful. And we're learning a lot about the stress piece. I know Peter Atia talks about it in his book. I, I have not yet had a man come on to my podcast, but he might be need to be the first fox in the hen house. Let's see if he'll come on <laughs> and chat with me. That would be awfully fun. <laughs> okay. So there is a general lack of awareness uh, by women and their healthcare providers around perimenopause, especially the early stages. What should women be watching for, please? Oh, so um, something's just not right is the best way I can explain it. You're just cruising along. You've been, you were doing fine. And all of a sudden things are getting tougher um, outside of just aging. You're noticing it could be, you know, hot flashes. It could be menstrual cycle disruption. It could be weight gain. It could be headaches. It could be depression. It could be anxiety. It could be worsening PMS, worsening ADHD. It could be itchy skin, dry skin. It could be dry, painful vagina, recurrent UTIs. There is not an organ system that is not affected by this. And since we are so biodiverse and in individuals, it is going to look, which is part of the problem, differently to each of us. Yes, you can be treated in perimenopause with hormones. Absolutely. Just doctors don't, a lot of practitioners have no idea how to do that. You don't have to wait till you've gone a year without your periods to consider hormone therapy. It's not necessary. Yes. I have tremendous fact- information on my blogs at gallisondiet.com about this, how to talk to your doctor, articles you can print out to hand to your healthcare provider so that you can get the care you need. There's new telemedicine companies popping up. You know, there's a lot of resources out there for you. You do not have to suffer and you can actually thrive during this time of your life. So I just, let's, let's revisit this. So even if you're in your early forties, it's totally okay for you to consider HRT if you're a candidate for it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The problem, the problem is we don't have enough practitioners that know that. Exactly. And that's it. And it's not their fault. They weren't taught, trained, you know, we're working on that piece, but until then it's just having to cobble together resources as you can. And that's, that's where we are right now. 
Yeah. Now you said you're working on a book about menopause, which I'm through. I, I can't wait to see it. Uh, if you would consider coming back on the podcast once Absolutely. it's been published. So share with my people. I love this. Um, here's what's missing. And this is something I bring up when I'm interviewing a woman who has already been through the process of menopause. She's now without a period and experiencing life on the other side. There's no, essentially no information out there about what happens after we get through the muck. Please talk about that. So um, your symptoms, it used to say, the book used to say two years, then it was four, now it's 12. So I don't have an end date on people's symptoms. You can have hot flashes till you die. It's possible. Okay. Most people know they will, they will stop. And, and that menopause is so much more than just annoying hot flashes, night sweats, and sleep disruption. Okay. It is every organ system of your body being affected. And that after like the symptoms go away, you are still a menopausal woman and you are going to experience increasing risks of health problems that did not exist before your ovaries shut down. And so being cognizant of that, being aware of what you need to do to stay healthy, realizing that you don't have to have a life of suffering and that you can have a healthy, vibrant life in your menopause without, you know, we've left a whole generation of women bereft without the option of hormone therapy. And, and that was what I was taught. You don't give her hormones unless she's threatening suicide, basically, you know, like, unless there's no other option, you're going to give her antidepressants. You're going to give her Neurontin. You're going to give her clonidine. You're not, you're going to avoid hormones at all costs. When those hormones were treating so many other parts of her body to help them stay healthy. And we've missed that opportunity for so many women. Right. And seeing the health, uh, um, effects because of that primarily brain bones and heart right so okay so for our generation just to be really clear hrt is safe for the vast, vast majority of women yes mm-hmm. okay what if there's breast cancer in the in the history or family history unless you personally have breast cancer you are still a candidate okay. there is no study documenting that hormone replacement therapy is going to increase your your okay so in the whi which was closed in 2002 okay we have not had a study since then looking at other forms of hormone therapy it was only primarin and primpro and so there's studies in other countries but the data is suggesting that look dr sharon malone who is the head of alloy health one of the most talented menopause providers i've ever seen in my life sister and mother had breast cancer she has made the choice to enjoy hormone replacement therapy, understanding that her risk might be infinitesimally increased over her already baseline based on her family history because the other health benefits and her quality of life and her brain function are more important to her. You get to decide as a patient what your risk you are willing to tolerate in order to have a better quality of life. That is not your, your practitioner's decision. That is your decision. Oh, yes. <laughs> bring it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, and, 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 and this, we're so quiet, right? We just go, okay, I guess the doctor says I can't have it. So we go home and we suffer for the next 30 or 40 years if we live that long. So get scrappy ladies, ask 
the questions, educate yourself, Arm go yourself to the Galveston. Yeah. Yes. Did you say the Galveston diet.com is where yes. you blog? In our blog yes. section, we have how to advocate yourself for hormone therapy, how to have a conversation with your doctor. Who's a candidate? Who's not? What are the real contraindications? A family history of breast cancer does not rule that out for you. A history of hypertension does not rule it out for you. You have to have active cardiovascular disease active in order to yeah. be a contraindication, active liver disease. Okay. Not fatty liver, not like mild fatty liver disease. So many of us have that, you know, that is not going to make you not a candidate for hormone replacement therapy. Everyone yeah. is a candidate for vaginal estrogen therapy. If you have a vagina, you are a candidate for vaginal estrogen. There is zero increased risk for cancer or clots with that. Okay. A family, a history of MTHFR is not a contraindication to hormone replacement therapy. So unless you've had a blood clot, had one, and then you're going to do transdermal. Transdermal does not increase the clotting factor risk above baseline, only oral. Yes. Ladies, if you're listening, what you need to take away from this conversation is that when you have a practitioner who is educated about how to do HRT safely, then there's, there's no limits. You can just, your life can be so much improved if you're suffering with some of these symptoms. Now, here's the tough part is finding those practitioners. Do you have any tips? North American Menopause Society has a list of certified providers on their website at galvestondiet.com. We have a list of testimonials from our followers who found great menopause providers and wrote testimonials and we have them <clears throat> categorized by state and city. That may be helpful. Um, I am going to start training providers who are interested in how I take care of patients and what I do and my protocols. Um, that should be coming out this year. So, you know, we're getting there slowly, but it is, and there's also online providers. Um, I really like Alloy Health. MIDI does take insurance. They do telemedicine. Alloy and Evernow are two reputable companies. I've looked at their protocols. I've looked at, the, I've talked to their medical directors. I think they're doing, they're doing the best thing, you know, telemed, I prefer inpatient over telemedicine, but it is an option. And so if you want to look into those companies, companies are popping up left and right. Some of them are not as efficacious or safe, I think, as others. So I would stick with one of those three as we speak. Okay. Last question for you today. What is the advice you'd give your younger self? Oh my gosh. Don't take no for an answer. Use your voice. You know, you are a precious, wonderful human being and don't let don't be driven by the opinions of others. Do not let the scale define who you are. You're, that number on the scale is not a great measurement of your health. And I allowed myself and I allowed my self-worth, allowed how I felt about myself to be driven by stepping on that stupid instrument every day. And it would define at what my choices for the day or punishing myself versus treating myself. It's still hard to break. Um, but I, I'm hopefully raising a, you know, two women who are not going to be defined by that number on the scale as a measurement of health and their, and their self-worth. Beautiful. Thank you for this wonderful, empowering conversation. Thank you for the time. Tell me where people can find you if they want to know more about you so or your book. I'm everywhere on social media, <laughs> uh, Instagram, TikTok, um, Mary Claire Haver, Dr. Mary Claire. Um, we also have our website. It is galvestondiet.com. And it has you know links to all of our social media platforms, as well as our blogs, information, quizzes, lots of educational tools for you.
Wonderful. Thank you for your generosity of time, not just with me this morning, but with all of the stuff you, you share on social media. I learned so much. I know women around the world are learning too. And I just thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Thank you again to Dr. Mary Claire Haver for such a fun interview. And thank you to you for tuning in for another week of the Not Your Mother's Menopause podcast. Until next time, take care. The views and nutritional advice expressed by Dr. Fiona Lovely are not intended to be a substitute for conventional medical service. If you have or suspect that you have a medical problem, promptly contact your healthcare provider. No information offered here should be interpreted as a diagnosis of any disease, nor an attempt to treat or prevent or cure any disease or condition. As with any new advice or program, you should always contact your healthcare provider prior to starting anything new. Thank you.